This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. We love sharing news from our sponsor, Healing Inside Acupuncture and Holistic Medicine on Grand Avenue in St. Paul, Minnesota. Owner Senya May and her team of practitioners are here to help you, especially when it comes to the health concerns that are unique to us women. At Healing Insight, women's health is a huge priority. They're helping women who think they just have to live with things like painful periods, PMS and PMDD, endometriosis and fibroids. Women like Beth, who shared this testimonial, she said, I had such bad cramps that I was suffering with PMS for three weeks out of the month and my moods were all over the place. The practitioners at Healing Insight worked their magic with acupuncture and herbs. I feel like a much better version of myself again. Senya says many of her patients are like Beth who think being on the birth control permanently is the only way to solve their hormonal issues. And Senya says that's just not true. Healing Insight's holistic approach can rebalance your hormones naturally so you're not struggling with your cycle every month. And Healing Insight practitioner Nikki Ballian was also also just officially certified as a fertility specialist by the American Board of Oriental Reproductive Medicine. She's one of only nine practitioners to have this certification in the whole state of Minnesota. Listen to the episodes of Best to the Nest featuring Senya, number 25, simply titled Anxiety, and episode 113, where we talk about coping with the COVID-19 global pandemic. Visit HealingInsightOnline.com. That's HealingInsightOnline.com to find out more about Senya and her team. I'm Marjorie Punnett. I'm Elizabeth Reese. This is Best of the Nest, a podcast that's all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. And the conversation is all about, are the kids going to go to school? Are they going to fly <laughs> off to school? I, I think it's a state-to-state thing, but that is a quite intimidating prospect, I think, for, for parents of young children in particular. I don't know how you teach a five-year-old how to social distance. I really Isn't don't. Isn't that the truth? And all of the elements that are being considered when it comes to school. So as we're recording this, Marjorie, it's July 17th. In 10 days, the governor of the great state of Minnesota will announce uh, what the plans are for the school year, which starts in the fall, which for some kids starts before Labor Day. Some kids, it starts kind of right in there here. Right. So I know a lot of parents around here are kind of waiting with bated breath to figure out what's going on. My daughter is going to kindergarten in the fall, oh, God willing. Yes. And I know. And so I am on this Facebook page in this private Facebook group 
for the school that she's going to. Oh, that's cool. So, yeah, it's neat. One of the other parents invited me and told me about it. And then so I've just been kind of watching what the conversations are. Right. And people are generally pretty kind to one another on this Facebook page. Good. That being said, you can like feel the edginess and the stress and how different people really feel differently about this. And it's, boy, there are a lot of elements that go along with the feeling of stress. I have many opinions per usual. (laughs) Would you expect anything less? What is it? No, no. But what is yours? I mean, for you, I mean, in a lot of ways, kindergarten for a lot of parents is fraught with tension anyway. Right. Because your little sweet pea's a little sweet pea. I know. And she's, it really feels like it's the t- first time they're going out into the world and you don't have those, there's a difference between a kindergarten teacher and a preschool teacher. Preschool teachers are all cuddly and sweet. A kindergarten teacher, it's the beginning of gotta follow the rules. You've gotta meet these, these, these guidelines. You've gotta meet these standards. I mean, You'll love this, Elizabeth. Campbell's kindergarten teacher was a former Marine. Oh, gosh. It was hysterical to watch his little (laughs) five-year-olds because they would stand up. They would say, good morning, Mr. Goldman. Then they would sit down. When they would leave their chair, they would push it in. When they would go for their morning walk, they would do it in a straight line. It was hysterical, but he kept, I mean, he had very sweet control of the class. And I remember the kids would be, Mr. Goldman, may I hug you? Yes, you may. Yes, you may. <laughs> you know, and the hugs—the hugs, the hugs are a real thing. You know, and, and yeah. our my kids are in preschool, and my kids have had preschool this entire time. So, right. what I have had is sort of a microcosm of what um, a cautious, carefully controlled COVID classroom can look like. Because my good. kids' preschool people, yeah. is pretty, they're doing a lot of kindergarten prep. They have like different milestones that they meet. We have parent-teacher conferences. You know, we have the whole deal with our preschool. And right. so frankly, I think I feel more comfortable about the idea of my kids going to school than most people maybe do because my kids have continued with school. And yeah. the program yeah. has been so responsive and amazing and proactive about making sure that our kids are safe and comfortable and weighing the risk, risks and the benefit for me of sending my children to be able to be social and have activities and have bike day and water play day and all of these different right. things that they adore so much and, you know, celebrate Franklin's birthday with friends at school. All these things are so beneficial to our family that I feel really good about sending them to school because I feel like you can do it in a really responsible way and we haven't had anything terrible happen. Right. And, and, and the, um, the infant room at our childcare had to be shut down for a couple of weeks when an employee contracted COVID and they worked with the Minnesota department of health to figure out what to do. And then the infants were just brought back and nobody else got it. And so I, I feel like if you take the proper precautions, and you have a system in place that allows for some flexibility for shutting down if you need to for a period of time and then coming back, I think it's really doable. Now, again, this is my personal opinion. And you could be listening to this and shaking your head and going, oh, hell no, I'm not sending my kid. Right. No way right. am I exposing my child or I'm a teacher and I don't want to expose myself. All those things I fully 
right. understand. But well, I've been considered an essential worker the whole time. So I've been going. I'm pregnant. I've been working. Right. I've been taking precautions. My company takes precautions. And so I feel good about it. This is interesting because this, again, is where you and I would differ completely. Yeah, if you would I take a different to, approach. I would be very different. Although I think you're really fortunate in one way. All of this, all of it has been demystified for you. Yeah. Because you've been living it. And so it doesn't seem sort of a bridge too far to send Bernie off to kindergarten because she's been doing this all along. Right. For me, when my kids were little, they they were in preschool, I think, three hours a day. Mm-hmm. Teeny, tiny little preschool. You drop them off. You pick them up. It was just sort of that. So I, it would have been a bigger thing for me to say, okay, now he's going off to kindergarten. He's going to be gone most of the day. There's a, There are more kids. I could go to the fear place pretty easily because nothing would have been demystified for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I actually think you're in a really fortunate position. I totally seeing, agree. Of seeing yes. how it can be done. Yeah. All I'm saying is I know what that fear would look like. I can easily conjure it in my head for myself. And I think that's what so many parents are going through. If your kids haven't been in a daycare situation from 9 to 5 every day, it's easy to conjure it's not possible to keep these kids safe. How could they mm-hmm. possibly do it? You know in your heart it is possible because you've been seeing it every day. That having been said, I keep thinking about this. When we, when my kids were in elementary school, they were in school in, in Atlanta. And it was not – it was a wonderful little public school, not particularly wealthy district. So there were things that just parents all sort of chipped in to help out on. Yeah. I mean, we had, we had, and, and there was a couple of mothers that sort of, sort of spearheaded it and gathered volunteers, but there were things like we would go in and do extra cleaning. We would help out wherever we could, wherever we felt that there was need. There was always a couple of parents. They really didn't have enough teachers to sort of monitor the cafeteria. So I would do cafeteria duty. Ian would do it every Friday. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of things that we did to bring that school sort of up to where it needed to be for all of the children, not just ours, and to keep all of them safe. And I think that's something that parents, if you're afraid, if you're really afraid, what can you do to lessen that fear? If the school opens, what can you do that would not only make you feel better, keep your children safer, but keep the community of children safer? This is one of those beautiful times that if the schools are open and you're afraid, dig in volunteer if they, if they allow you. Now, again, that gets really tricky if they allow it. But there are ways, I think, to mitigate fear. And I think that usually can come back to service. I yeah, mean, when I, I would, I when I would be right. there with the other mothers cleaning the bathrooms, it was fun. I mean, we got to meet each other and you got to hang out and it was fine, <laughs> you know. And I loved going to the cafeteria and having lunch with the kids. I mean, so there, are, there, there should be, I hope there are ways that parents can help out so that 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 will help them feel better about their kids being there. I just get so concerned about the idea of not having schools open. I feel like we'll really widen the gap between the haves and the have nots because private schools do not have to adhere to what the governor says. Private schools will be able to open. And I know a lot of private schools that say we're opening no matter what we are going to be opening. And so what that means is that parents who have the means can pull their kids out of public schools, enroll them in a private school and pay to get to have them continuing that one-on-one education. And let me be clear that I think teachers have done an amazing job with distance learning. Some teachers have probably done better than it with it than others. I mean, that's just the way that 
that it is. Some ages do better with it than others. And so, but I don't think there's a teacher out there who would tell you that distance learning is better than being in a classroom for their kids. Right. Teachers right. are passionate about being in the classroom with kids, right? And it's very connecting with them and having relationships with them and working on social things, all of that stuff. And so I just get really concerned that families with resources are going to be able to find those resources and find ways to help their kids stay on track and get ahead. And those without it, because if you're a single mom and you work a shift job, you can't be home with your kid all the time and continue to teach them and continue to work. It's so much. And then I also just worry so much about the idea of children who are home with, you know, living in houses with addiction and abuse, right? There's no outlet for them. There's no way for them to get out. There's no way for them to be recognized when, when it comes to, you know, social issues and social work issues, all of those, I mean, the vast majority are identified by school workers. They're the first reporters. And so not having those things to me, I, I think it's a little bit, it's, it's, and I don't want to say, I think it's narrow-minded to only be looking at COVID as the only thing that you're considering when you're looking at schools, Is would be my opinion. Yeah. That you have to look at it holistically. I mean, we talk about this so much on this podcast. You've got to take a step back and look at things holistically and really how do all of these elements fit in, and then you can weigh the risks and um, that you're willing to take. I think there's truth to that. I think what will be revealed when the schools open is spread. And mm-hmm. that's, that's the big concern is I think that's why people tend to look at the people who believe that COVID is happening, that that's the fear. <laughs> it is. That that's <laughs> the fear that, that if we open the schools, all of our numbers are going to go up. Right. And, and I have to say, I, that's, that would be my concern as well is because it, all other countries have shown that when you lock down, when you close everything up, that's how we can get control of the pandemic. And we just keep not doing that. And it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And I think for places that aren't seeing, that aren't hotspots, it's hard to imagine what it's like to be in one. I'm not in a hotspot, but every day I get on a morning meeting with my group of coworkers who are in Arizona, and they are. I know. And you can just feel like it's really hard on them. Because, and we're all remote, so they're all in their homes. They're not going, most of them aren't going into work every day, but there's that low level stress of knowing, of knowing that you could contract it more easily there than anywhere else. I think it was one in 52 people in Arizona has COVID. One in 52. So this is where, this is where the region school to school should open or not open comes up. I, I do think it has to be a region to region decision. And because, even state by state and then even district by district, frankly. I mean, yeah, it's just, there's yeah. just no way to have a universal yeah. plan because a, a school set up in rural Minnesota is completely different from a school set up in urban Minneapolis, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's, they're just a different way to go. That being said, I do think one of the positives, and this is one thing that you brought up, Marjorie, as we were talking about what we wanted to discuss today is this idea of wishful thinking and talking about, okay, so we're reimagining a lot of things in life and we're kind of looking at what could school look like. And that got us thinking about 
what could school look like? I mean, what are the things that could be so great about schools that maybe we've lost sight of a little bit as we've gotten culturally so obsessed with success measurements and presidential (laughs) test scores and all of those different things that like well-rounded college education, college applicants, all that stuff. What could school really look like that would make it better. And one thing that I've really loved about living in the city of Minneapolis that I didn't experience when I lived in the suburbs, because when we grew up, you just went to the school that you were assigned to go to. I mean, it wasn't like anything. My parents didn't tour schools. I was like a touring (laughs) idiot with a spreadsheet. I mean, I turned into like the worst version of myself with this kindergarten decision because in the city of Minneapolis, We have so many options, which can be amazing, but also overwhelming, but got me thinking so much about like, gosh, you know what? These options are really cool. You can find the school that fits your child and that sort of fits your family's philosophy on life easier when you have a lot of options. I mean, we have charter schools, magnet schools, immersion schools, public schools, private schools, neighborhood schools. We have all these different things. And so as you're making that choice, it can feel kind of overwhelming, but it did get me thinking a lot about what am I looking for in a community for when it comes to school and, and then our family. And you found something that I think is so great, this piece on what we wish we would have learned in high school. (laughs) Right. So there was an article in the New Yorker and the headline was subjects I wish my high school had offered to prepare me for adulthood. And we've sort of touched on this before, the things that have sort of fallen away in traditional schools that we think should be brought back. But this is Yeah, we're passionate about industrial tech and home ec. (laughs) Yes. But this is the, so to this writer, I just love this. She said, is it a she or he? Uh, it's a, a he and a she. A he and a she. They wrote it together. Uh, How they perfect. They wrote it together. So they wanted AP salary negotiations. That should be a- the title of the class. Amen to this. Amen. <laughs> she said, or he, he, she said, in this class, students upon landing their first jobs at Baskin Robbins will be exposed to the colossal discomfort of salary negotiations. The worst. Each week, they will learn a different historical negotiation technique from bartering donkeys to ancient, in ancient Babylon to setting branded video rates as a TikTok influencer in Venice Beach. Brilliant. Students will also study common negotiation strategies like always speaking less than the hiring manager and growing accustomed to hearing a big ha 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 Absolutely not if they are women. Oh my gosh, <laughs> preach it. That Don't is you so love it? But true. I actually think there really should be something like that. I mean, I, I want to send this article to every school administrator and be like, these classes are essential. This is what needs to go into right. schools. What do you have to do? What will have more impact on your life than your ability to negotiate a salary? Right. Very few things. I mean, and that is a major one. One of the things, so our kids always call us when they get, we, we, we always say gigs, when they get a job, they call <laughs> us. And I remember my, my son called and he was being offered a, a job in LA and the salary wasn't terribly high and he was sort of bummed by that because obviously the cost of living in LA is really high and I said dude don't worry about it negotiate title just negotiate title that's all you care about just negotiate title because of the industry he was going into media and titles are everything yeah and you can make up the salary later so I mean but there are ways that like in certain industries you need to know what to do a class would be great, and it doesn't have to be – I mean, just think if you bundled that with a bunch of other life skills. But anyways, the article goes on. They said there should be a class called Introduction to the Collapse of Modern Civilization. 
Learn how to acknowledge, accept, and smile through the collapse of the United States of America and the world at large. Each lecture will dissect the disintegration of different civilizations while students do mouth-strengthening exercises. The final exam will consist of students smiling through three hours of Tucker Carlson disdainfully lecturing about the dangers of diversity. Right. Yeah. Every Um, powerful uh, civilization has collapsed at one point or another, so just get prepared. (laughs) Just understand it. Intellectually understand (laughs) it. The Roman Empire was a big deal for a long time. (laughs) To a lot of people. A lot of Romans scared about that. I know. I know. The British, by the way, owned everything. They owned everything. And guess what they own now? Tiny little islands. (laughs) That's that's it. It It happens. It happens. I love this one, and I read this to my husband last night, and he laughed so hard at this one. A class in how to turn off your car's low-tire pressure alert. For the love of God, yes, please. (laughs) Mine are constantly going off. Turn it off. Okay, I'm going to read you one more because I love this one because I have two 20-year-olds. An AP class in growing up, how to turn 30 with dignity. Approximately 12 years after graduating from high school, students will be turning 30. Students in this advanced placement course will learn about the biogenetic origins of existential dread and how it can sneak up on them in the form of thoughts like this. What have I done with my life? Is that a gray hair? And how did Kaylee get named to the Forbes 30 under 30 for starting a business that sells vegan cat litter? (laughs) These are great class ideas. Yeah. These are great class ideas, which does make you think a lot about like, what would you, what would you go back and wish that you could learn in school? And I think a lot of us are getting that awakening in terms of history and understanding that the history of our country that we've been told is basically we've been sold a bill of goods that isn't the truth. And you understand how many people are missing from that history, particularly black people and people of color, right, of the timeline and how we've whitewashed so much of our conversations. Even I think this year people are going to be looking at Thanksgiving a lot differently than they looked at it before. You know, I know a lot of people who refused to celebrate the 4th of July this year um, because they felt like they were celebrating something that wasn't true, that our nation's independence was built on on terror and, you know, displacing Native people, which, right. guys, right. it was. And right. so is the history of many, many other countries. I mean, it is really, it's a sad fact about what we're looking back at. Um, but I think Thanksgiving, you know, we've always been told, like, the Native Americans and the white people sat down together and had this wonderful meal, which didn't even ever happen, guys. <laughs> you know, I mean. Yeah, it's, it's really frightening to me how long I actually believed that. Right. I believed like it, it was, for a very long time. Yes. Yes. Well I thought. my 20s, I think. Right, right. This sounds so magical. And so right. I think when it comes to United States history, I think we are going to see a shift in schools in terms of what we are sharing and this thought that looking back at your country and being critical of the things that have happened and have gotten us here doesn't mean that you love your country any less, right? You can love America and you can also want it to be better. Like I love the things I love the most in life. I want to be better always, right? You look at your family, the people that you love the most, your husband, you love your husband the most, right? Don't you want him to be the best, the absolute best, and it's it's okay to look critically at that person. It doesn't mean that you love them any less, right? And I think that's a really important thing. It's interesting that you say that. I was just I was just editing. One of the things I do is I I I help 
turn into a television sh- television show, uh, an event series that one of the colleges at ASU does. And they had a speaker, a professor, that was speaking about civic education. So the event was all about civic education. And it's actually a very controversial subject right now. History is a very controversial subject because right. how do you gr- agree at what our history is and was, and how should it be taught? Whose mm-hmm. voices get to be heard? So yes. amongst academics, this is a very, 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 very hot topic right now. But this conference was about civic education and the importance of coming together and somehow teaching our children what it means to be an American. That that has, does that, first of all, you have to start with the question, does that have value? Is it valuable to train our children how to be good citizens? And how do you do that? And one of the speakers said exactly what you said, Elizabeth, which being a good citizen starts with love. It starts with a love of country. Because if you don't love your country, if you can't, if you can't love your country, you won't respect where you come from. Yeah. And I think this is what's most important about this movement toward real diversity, really hearing what, what people of color have gone through, what what their history has been in this country, and embracing that pain together mm-hmm. and acknowledging that pain together so that we can look at the country we live in right now and love it appropriately and help it evolve and grow. Yes. But I, I just, I, I, you're exactly right. It starts with love. And that doesn't mean that we're dismissing the pain. That has no. to be acknowledged. It absolutely has to be acknowledged. And the, and the darkness of our of our history, which is... Oof, it's, it's, it's dark. Not, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's not good. Hey, Nesters, we want you to know more about one of our incredible guests turned sponsor on Best to the Nest. Annalisha Nimala is the powerhouse behind the Exercise 180 community and movement. We had an incredibly emotional and raw conversation with Annalisha on episode 92 that focused on how we look at, treat, and value our bodies. And you can go further with Annalisha by becoming an Exercise 180 member. When you do, you get an all-access pass to Annalisha's E180 digital course, private podcast, online workout videos, and private Facebook group where she hosts health challenges and live events, everything you need to become one of the strongest, healthiest people you know in body and mind, and to initiate you into a movement creating real change for the next generation, specifically our daughters. Go to exercise180.com forward slash join dash now for more about her membership. And she also offers a free master class that lays out the seven principles her E180 philosophy is built on. Get signed up for that at exercise180.com. As a bonus, everyone who signs up for her free masterclass receives a special link that allows you to get registered for her membership at a big discount. And go back and listen to episode 92 of Best to the Nest. It's a must listen. But when we when when I was reading this New Yorker article, one of the things I started thinking about was What classes, you know, they're talking about an AP class in salary negotiation, but honestly, what classes do I wish I had had in high school? I was very type A. I took every class I was supposed to take for college preparation. I didn't take anything that deviated off the path that I was on because I was going to be a lawyer. (laughs) I was all very serious about it all. And I look back now and I think, gosh, I wish I had had a, a wider emotional education in high school. Yeah. So so for me, I think every high school, in fact, every school, every grammar school should have yoga and meditation. 
For sure, Marjorie. That's yes. so good. And a lot of schools do have this. My kids do yoga at preschool. I love this. Yeah, they do yoga at preschool and they're super familiar with it. And they really so love it. And they do a lot of teaching of in preschools of take focusing on your breath, breathing oh. when we're feeling overwhelmed, all those kinds of things. So you definitely are seeing those elements in schools. But I think having that be just a mandatory part of life, yes. like a daily, a daily breath, practice. Even practice. Yeah, would be amazing. Just like when I was growing up, we would hear the news over the loudspeaker, right? right? Of like, here's the daily news. And I thought, oh my gosh, how glamorous. I want to deliver the daily news. This is so exciting. And um, what if a daily meditation, a daily breath uh, was incorporated into that? If you started the day with some yoga movement, how glorious would that be, Marjorie Punnett? I mean, honestly, you could do a 20-minute practice. Oh, gosh. Yeah, you could do five, and it would make a huge difference. Huge. It would absolutely make a huge difference. So that's one. How about you? Okay, I love that. Well, of course, mine has to do with cooking. I think (laughs) cooking is essential. And I know that some schools still have home ec. We had home ec. When I smell burned eggs, I am immediately (laughs) brought back to my home ec classes in middle school because right. learning how to cook eggs was like the first thing that you learned in home at class. And, and I really do believe this. I believe if people know how to cook, I think that the, what sort of just snowballs from that is a feeling of independence and ability yeah. to save money, yep. uh, a connection to our food that would then increase the transparency that needs to increase in our food system. And I know yep. that that's like a big, world thing to think about coming from a home at class, but that's where it starts. If you're disconnected from your food and you only think that it comes from a drive-thru or from the Chipotle line, I mean, God bless Chipotle, but like you, you don't know where it comes from. And so many of us are so disconnected. So I think having home at classes that teach you about growing food, the people who grow our food, farm field trips, and then how to cook things is totally invaluable. I mean, and in another life, I would love to teach that class. Oh, you've got a long life. You might still. (laughs) That's true. I mean, honestly, if you're at 65, you're not doing anything else. Why not teach a home ec class? Was it required in your high school? Um, It was in middle school. I don't remember. That's so cute. (laughs) High school. I remember middle school having it. And then I also remember we had like, we had an industrial tech class in middle school where we would like build a birdhouse and do all of that stuff. And I think that that is really important too. And I've been looking a lot at like, I looked a lot at the schools that we visited at what their art programs are and what kind of art things they offered. And I mean, one Catholic school we went to had this amazing room with all these clay pots and the kids would make clay pots and they had a kiln there and they would do that. We had that at our school growing up too. And I think all of those things that are so important, frankly, what's interesting is that I definitely fall into the camp of if a school told me that they have, everybody has an iPad, I was like, this isn't for us. Right. We, you know, it just, I, I just feel like, and this is just for me. And again, I know, I mean, one of my best friends worked in integrating iPads into classrooms. That was her job. So I get that people can feel differently about this, but I just feel like, guess what kids are constantly exposed to right now? Screens. Like my two-year-old can manage an iPad. I don't think that 
he needs to have it integrated into every single little bit of school. So right. I'm a fan of like computer labs where you actually have to go to the computer lab right. to get on the computer. You're not like right. doing everything on it. That's, that is what feels right for me. And then I also think just more space for creativity yeah. and space for just thinking. And that's where some of like the Montessori method just appeals yeah. to me so much yeah. because I just think in life in general, we've really learned through this crisis that the, one of the positives that's come out of it is that a lot of us have just had that space to think about things and prioritize things and think what would feel good to us to do now, which is why so many people are doing so many more art things or right. building things or baking well, sourdough. It's interesting that you say that my um, both of my sons went to a high school that did not offer AP classes. And that was with great intention. Now, the downside of that is a lot of kids now, they want to they wanna get as many credits as they can. So yeah, because they, they can save to, on college. They can save in college. Mm-hmm. I see the upside of that. The downside of the, uh, the upside of saving oh, on college? No, I know that. I mean, then what's the other side of not, of like, not what's having the upside so, of not having AP classes? Is that you, I feel like the children that I, or the high schoolers that I've talked to that have AP classes, and this just is my opinion, is that there's a very structured system of how they have to get through the material. And they have to get through a lot of material very quickly, which allows for a lot of surface knowledge and good knowledge, but not necessarily the critical thinking, the deep critical thinking skills that I think actually serve you through life to be a curious learner. Mm-hmm. You become a learner, but it's at this rapid rate where you don't really have the time to stop and explore what you're talking about. Yeah. Where my kids went to school, they had a humanities class, and I think the humanities class was 90 minutes. Now, mind you, there were only 10 kids in the class. It's a very small school. <laughs> but they talked about things at a very high level because they had time and they weren't – it was a private school too, so that's different. Right. But I just think sometimes when you talk about space to think, the boys got a lot of time to explore themes and ideas and really talk about the literature in their math classes. The the school, the boys were done with calculus by junior year. They were doing advanced theoretical math by senior year. Yeah. So it wasn't that they were moving any more slowly or they weren't learning as much. They were learning it differently and not on this strict schedule for an outcome. The outcome was critical thinking skills and connections. And all of them did beautifully. They all did beautifully on – this was a very – this was a wonderful school and they all did beautifully on – the ACTs and the SATs, what they didn't get. And I think if we had pursued it more deeply, my sons probably could have taken some college placement tests. I just didn't care. I really wanted, again, this was our family and we were lucky to do it this way. I wanted them to spend four years in college. Yeah. I rushed myself through college just because I couldn't wait to get out into the world in, in three and a half years, which isn't super fast, but I, I pushed myself pretty hard. That's fast. And, and I regretted it. I, I really regretted that I had went through so quickly because I just didn't give myself time to really do the things to enjoy myself in it. And so I think that's all in response to space to think. I 100% agree with that. I think sometimes we push too much on them. And sitting and making a clay pot, you really don't know what connections the brain is making that are so important when they're doing that. I think you're totally right. I I think that we, we forget sometimes. I mean, I'm all, I understand STEM. I I understand the importance (laughs) of STEM, but there's probably a reason I didn't raise two engineers. You know, know, I also love the idea of even 
stepping back and this is coming from a person who is I'm a college graduate I'm very passionate and proud of my college degree my dad has worked in higher education and was the president of a university for 10 years okay so we are higher education people and right. have certainly prioritized that and and focused on the value of that that right. being said I think we've gotten so stuck on this idea that the only way to succeed is to go to college right? and we're missing out on so many other opportunities. And I would love to see a class maybe in high school that, and maybe somewhere they have these, which would be amazing. I haven't been to high school in a long time where they would really go through different career paths and the money that you can make in different career paths and how you get there and really weighing the cost and the benefit. And I know that, you know, schools have to sort of pride themselves on this. We're a college preparatory school, right? They love to say that. They love to say we're a college prep school. We get all like, we have a high percentage of kids that go Ivy league or they go here and here or whatever. But I would love to see a widening of the definition of success because frankly, my friends, if you are a plumber, you're making 250 bucks an hour. And Marjorie, that's a hell of a lot more than I made as a uh, a news reporter. Yeah. And that's a hell of a lot more than I make now. Like yeah. that's, you know, yeah. that is a ton. And when you understand, I mean, when if you can really go through and say, here are all of these wonderfully equal jobs that we right. don't look at jobs that don't require a college education as being any less important to our society than jobs that require a college education. I think you can just help more kids find their path and find their passion and be productive instead of just always going that we're on this one track mind that every single person has to go to college. Well, that's number one. That's not even sustainable. There aren't enough jobs, college educated jobs for every single person to go to college. And number two, There's no shame in a job that doesn't require a college degree. It's just not in any way true. And frankly, we were just talking about this with some friends that we were with last weekend. This idea that you immediately think that getting into $100,000 in debt for a $40,000 a year marketing job is a good idea. It's It's not. It's a ridiculous idea. And you have been told that that's something that you should do when – no way. No way does that make any financial sense whatsoever. No, I think, you know, and I I don't even know what they're called now, but I know some community colleges have more trade-based programming. And I awesome. think that that's really – I think that's where the community college community has sort of – and I, I'm not 100% sure about this. I mean, I that also probably varies state to state. But I remember a conversation I had with a woman in St. Paul. I wish I could remember her name. She was an upholsterer. And – Oh, you can crush it as an upholsterer, by the way. Yeah, yeah. she was an upholsterer, and she had actually taken the class. I wish I could remember her name. She had taken a class, not, it was, I don't know if it was at a community college or in high school. It was an upholstery program. Yeah. You could literally go in and learn how to be an upholsterer. My sister and my dad did like a community ed upholstery class and loved it. Yeah, but this was a full on like training so that you would be, you would really know how to do it. And she graduated and they closed down that, I don't know if it was a trade school or what it was. And she said, it's so sad because it has been, she loves her job. I mean, this was 15 years ago, but she loved her job. She was making 
a fabulous living. Like, <laughs> so she was doing just fine. Yeah. And loved what she was doing. She didn't want to go to college. She didn't want to study. She wanted to do exactly what she was trained to do. And I think, mm-hmm. I don't know enough about what programs are out there now, but I think, again, as we're reimagining things, and I think what the pandemic has showed us, who are the essential workers? Hey, guess what? Electricians, plumbers, you know, people who keep our lives running. True. Are Anybody who's workers. building something, essential. Yeah, essential. And so I think that that's a really good thing, too. So back to the classes we wish we had. Is there another one? Now, home ec, I think, yes, 100%. I never took a home ec class. I could have benefited from one. I would have, I wish, I would take it now, knowing what I know now. I think, I think anything more involving personal finance for me would be so important yeah, that 100%. just hammering home the importance. And I do remember we had classes that were focused on like investing and you would get like a fake amount of dollars oh, and cool. then we would look at the stock exchange every day and look at the Dow oh, and we would be good. investing and seeing. So I remember that stuff, your taxes, all that kind of stuff, personal finance as not just a one-off class, but as a required education. I mean, there is just, and and again, STEM and all of that stuff is so important, but when it comes to what do you have to do on a daily basis, Marjorie, I look at my bank account every single day. What do you have to focus on on a daily basis? And what is the cause of more stress, marital strife, marital family breakdowns, financial problems? If we were really, really preparing kids and really focusing on personal finance as a major part of a curriculum, I think that it could be completely life-changing for people. Well, well, here's the thing. If your family is dysfunctional about money or they're not good money managers, guess what? The likelihood that you're not going to be a good money manager is really high. I know. Because if parents model bad consumer behavior, have high credit credit card debt, all of those things, more than likely those patterns are going to get passed on to their children, and the children aren't going to know how to dig out of that. And I think that's one of the things I 100% believe that should be a required year-long class. You can do a month on taxes. You can do a month on investment. You can do a month on what is your credit rating, mm-hmm. and how do you make sure you have a good one? My, my younger son just bought a car. And it was really, he got his credit report. And one of the things I told them when they turned 18 is we're going to start building your credit rating now. Because when you need it, having an excellent credit rating is like having a magic carpet through the financial world. Yeah, it's so true. If you don't have a good credit rating, you're going to get charged higher interest on everything, whether you buy a house, whether you buy a car. And I think that's one of those things that a lot of people, when their kids are taking out student loan debt, you really need to explain to them what that means. What does I just that really paid mine mean? off last month. <laughs> just paid so it you, off. You know last what month. it means. I made the last payment was $71 when it was like, <laughs> okay, here we go. This feels great. I am f- completely free. I do not have a student loan payment this month for the first time since I graduated college. Oh my God. Isn't that crazy? And it wasn't a massive payment and I didn't have a huge amount. That being said, I always had it. I always knew I had to pay it. And what you knew not to do, Elizabeth, is to default on that. There are so so many kids out there that just think, I'm not going to pay it. If they don't pay their student loans, their credit rating plummets. Then good luck trying to buy a car. Good luck trying to get a mortgage. Good luck trying to get a credit card. And these are things that kids need to know. But if they don't come from somebody who can know how to teach them, which a lot of people don't. There are a lot of people who are really bad money managers. 
that's an important And even cause. good money managers don't always know how to communicate that to their children. To you their know? children. I so, think it is that we are in this time where we could look at, we can definitely look at this as just kind of circling back to the beginning of the conversation of a lot of stress for a lot of parents about figuring out what's happening. But I think we can also look at it as an opportunity to say, with everything, right. how can we do better? And what really matters? Right. What really matters is the question that everybody's asking. And it's we, because we don't have so much noise around us with having to go to this and go to that and this baseball game and this fundraiser and blah, blah, blah. We're able to just cut through some of that noise. And the answer to the question, what really matters, I think is coming to us more easily, which yep. is a beautiful gift. I have two more classes that I think are essential. Okay, tell Two more. I think there ought to be a class on personality differences. Mm. I think there ought to be like a psych, like a psych class that actually teaches you about the personalities you're going to come in contact with for the rest of your life. Yeah, because some of them suck so much, and you have to deal with them. (laughs) (laughs) I kid, kind of, kind of. I don't really kid. (laughs) And then I think there should be. I had to take speech by freshman year of high school. It was mandatory. I had to take a speech class. I actually think it should be a year long. One semester should be speech, and the other mandatory should either be theater or improv. I think For you sure. should learn how to handle yourself on your feet. Yeah. I think, it, and, and a speech class doesn't do that. I mean, you, did you ever have to take speech? Yeah, I had to take speech, and, but, and we've actually done improv workshops at my job as, as like a training. Oh, and see, it's exactly. really great. Yeah, Stevie Ray's comedy, he does corporate workshops all the time. And you really figure out how learning the skills of improv help you work as a team and help oh, you work to good. think on your feet and also hear what other people are saying. It's incredible. And he's super successful with these corporate workshops. It's amazing. Imagine having having had that class at 15 or 16. Yeah. I'm, and I would never, if it were... If it were not, if it were not mandatory, I would never take that in high school. I think everybody should have to do that. I love that. I and love, what kind of confidence that. that would build? Those are yeah, good. Yeah. Those are good yeah. ideas. We should start our own school. It can be called the Best to the Nest School, and we'll everybody. Yep. And then everyone has to, um, you you arrive in an egg, and then you peck your way out of the egg every morning, and say wow. hello. I'm here. I love that. And it's like a rebirth every day. How do you feel about this? Our egg budget is going to be high. I really feel good about that as a a philosophy. Crack your way out of the egg every single day. (laughs) That is good stuff. Okay, if you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And give us a review at Apple Podcasts. Marjorie, did you find a good one today? Yep, from Jax this morning. I always loved you two on the radio together and was thrilled when this podcast was first announced. I haven't missed an episode yet. You two have brought me to tears and joy and made me think about and analyze myself and my relationships. And, of course, I haven't had an episode yet that I haven't laughed out loud at least once. (laughs) Most times to the point of tears. I love (laughs) you both. Thank you for this. You are providing so many of us the girlfriend conversations that we are missing from our lives and so badly needed. Jax, thank you so much. Thank you so much for that. Your reviews mean a lot to us. We don't read these um, just to make ourselves 
Well, we do. We read them to make ourselves feel better. <laughs> they make us feel better. We uh, do. And to help us remember that we're on the right track and we're all on the right track together. We love our go. nesters. There you go. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best to the Nest or go to besttothenest.com to subscribe to our newsletter. We are the podcast that brings you home. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.